Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. back episode 117 of history for weirdos let's go weirdos yes and it's always a good time for me when it's your week to tell me a story yes i know i feel like we say this every single week but it's true like it's 100 percent true there's pressure when it's your week it's a different vibe <laughs> like when it's your story week i should say yes because you're you're really researching your story right yeah and that's the, and you want to make sure it sounds really good yeah, um, you're kind of like leading the show exactly, for the week. Exactly, exactly. And it gives, it's an extra pressure. But when you're not leading the show, it's incredible because you just get amazing story time. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and this cannot be like overstated, I feel like. And before we jump into the amazing story time, uh, we did want to share just a couple of like fun updates with the weirdos, like personal stuff. One is a TV show recommendation. Oh, yes. On Netflix called detective forced detective forced it's a polish show it's a polish show and this isn't a history recommendation but since this month our themes for the episodes were murder this is a murder mystery serial killery true crime show from poland right and it's very dark yeah uh, but it is i think it's pretty well done it doesn't have the greatest reviews on imdb we Mm -hmm. saw but that surprised me because I was I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, is it the greatest show ever made? No, but like, do I really like it? And I want a second season. Absolutely. Yes. So if you are into like true crime detective shows and you're into some darker content, I would look up like content warnings. <laughs> uh, we definitely recommend it. Absolutely. And then last but not least, not history or murder related, but we went to our first monster truck show this weekend. And we loved it. We did. Okay. <laughs> I know it sounds so bad. And it's so, and to like our non-American listeners, our, you guys are probably sitting there being like, wow, that is the most stereotypical American shit ever. And I agree, but honestly, don't knock it until you try it. It was really fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. It is very loud. So if you ever go to a monster truck show, I do recommend bringing like earplugs or noise canceling headphones. But I was surprised at how... Um, family friendly the environment was i was too that honestly kind of surprised me um i thought we're not it was gonna paid. be scarier yeah by the way we're not getting paid oh we're my just... god could you imagine if we got sponsored by like the monster truck people i don't even know what they're called monster jam monster jam that's right <laughs> we're okay. not paid by monster jam we promise i know they're just getting free publicity yeah but it was really cool it was really fun and it's it was kind of weird like in the best way so we thought you all would like to know that we do recommend the monster truck show it was it was an experience yeah i'll say that um it was a lot of fun though okay and now my love tell us what do you have in store for us this week it better be murder related because you set that theme <laughs> i know i did <laughs> and yes it is murder related and we're actually going to be covering a murder that has national implications national implications okay oh, yes so when you hear of presidential assassinations who do you think of abraham lincoln first 
And then JFK. Yes. Agreed. Everyone always thinks of one or the other, right? Mm -hmm. Every single time. But we're going to be talking about the assassination of President William McKinley this week. Oh my gosh, that's right. McKinley was assassinated as well. Yes, there have been four presidents that have been assassinated. And then there's James, I think James Garfield. And his assassination, I feel like, is even less well-known than McKinley's. But McKinley's is, oh, I hate to say it's a little bit more interesting. There's more to the story? There's more to the story, right. McKinley's assassination is how Theodore Roosevelt became president, right? Yes, and we'll get into that, actually, at the end of this episode. Oh, so interesting. I'm excited to learn more. Oh, yes. So he was assassinated. He as in President William McKinley was assassinated on September 6th, 1901 in Buffalo, New York. Oh, wow. So right where your dad went to college, actually. I know. Also in 1901. (laughs) I'm sure he's going (laughs) to love that. (laughs) That's for you, dad, if you're listening. Yeah. So he was at this time the third U.S. president to be assassinated following Lincoln and James A. Garfield. Wow. Um. But before we get into the actual event of the assassination, let's take a look at like how the heck this even happened. Like mm-hmm. what led up to this. Mm-hmm. So it's funny. I clearly remember learning kind of late 19th century history um, in I think elementary school and in high school and just being bored to tears by it. Really? It was not my time. I think it's such an interesting time. Yeah, I, I do like it now, yeah. but this was like 16-year-old Andrew. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit little bit less mature. He had less of a refined palate, maybe. I, I could... <laughs> I, he, that's a good argument. <laughs> I didn't even... I was like stuttering. <laughs> so it's... I know. And it, also, I think it is ironic because you... That might be your favorite period of history. I don't even think about it consciously i just always tend to gravitate towards it it's so strange that's why i say it's your favorite yeah because that is that's kind of how i gravitate towards the late roman republic yeah you always gravitate towards this victorian era mm-hmm. or the gilded age you know whatever you want to call this time period mm-hmm. so um you know again a little bit older a little bit wiser so i appreciate this time a little bit more now but let's get into life or what life was like in the late 19th century or, you know, as it's sometimes known, the gold, the Gilded Age, not the Golden Age, the Gilded Age. The Gilded Age. Amazing TV show. That is a really good show. Speaking really, of history wrecks. Really good show. It's like almost nothing happens, but it's so dramatic. Yeah, it's very Downton Abbey-esque. Yeah, it's the writers regard. of Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. I love the dresses. Of course you do. The dresses are so cool. <laughs> I love like what... interests us in like a tv show or especially a historical Mm. tv show i'm usually really interested in like national like implications or like the plots and stuff like that and you really like the set like the the set and the costume yes exactly i love it but i I do i mean but i also i feel like we both appreciate the other one as well like i do i love the set just not as much as the plot and you and vice versa i feel like for you yeah exactly so back to our narrative here, the Civil War, it ended in 1865, right? Mm-hmm. You guys should know that. Unless you're not American. If you're American, you really should know that. And then the, <laughs> and the country started to go reconstruction. That also was so judgmental, and I'm sorry. <laughs> like That just came out of me. Andrew's already 
shaming really us for not knowing the exact year <laughs> yeah. that the civil war ended we didn't even say anything you guys <laughs> no it was just like so one of you <laughs> doesn't know you that doesn't know this, and it's pissing me off R- okay. repeat the year since it's important it's 1865 1865 that's the year that uh, the civil war ended and that lincoln was ironically assassinated now we know so uh, this was also a time like immediately after like the recon was what it's called the reconstruction era from about 1865 mm-hmm. to like 1877, 1878, something somewhere along those lines. Not a happy time in the U S it's not. Um, it's, it was partially success in that, like it did bring the union back together, right? Mm-hmm. Especially after a very disastrous civil war. Um, but Again, like you said, it wasn't all a success. Uh, this, this, there was a so-called redeemer faction, quote unquote, in the United States. Um, they were largely a very militant portion of the de- Democratic Party mm-hmm. that wanted t- to form like a sense of white supremacy in the South. Oh my gosh! So oh, they were surprising. They were peaches. Yeah, they were not. They were not nice people. Um. They had different paramilitary groups to even help them do this. Oh, wow. Yeah, you had the Red Shirts, the White League, and most infamously, the Klu- the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, I didn't realize that was connected to this. Yes. Oh, disgusting. Yeah, they used violence, intimidation to enforce these ideals, right? And they were essentially domestic terrorists. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there was even, like, acts of Congress. Like, there is the Ku Klux Klan Act, which, like, limited... It even like suspended habeas corpus for people who participated in that group. Yeah. Like they were not, not good. Yeah. And they, I know that a lot of, um, KKK members were also in like high positions of power. Yes. Typically like very powerful in their like communities or local governments at least. Right. Especially, um, at low, at local and state level governments, yeah. they were really well entrenched and mm-hmm. that's why you needed like literal acts of Congress to kind of target that and weed them out right Mm -hmm. and there's i mean there's even corruption which we'll get into a second but if you want a little bit more on like that kind of uh the racial tension and the the history of like those terrible groups we actually do cover them in episode 58 the wilmington massacre Mm -hmm. if you're learning you know wanting to learn more about that yeah it's really interesting but it's tough i'm not gonna lie you did that episode and you did a great job thank you yeah Mm -hmm. that was arguably the toughest episode I think I've ever did. Yeah. It was just, it was just terrible. But anyway, you should go listen, (laughs) but go listen. (laughs) I mean, it is interesting. It's just Mm -hmm. important to learn. Right. So here's the thing though, like racial tension, not going great in the country at this point in time. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was just one facet. It was very complex and there is emerged this huge economic disparity between Southern states and the Northern states with wealth being more concentrated you know, in the union or the former union states, the Northern states. I'm sure that's going to build resentment. Yes. Uh, this would be attempted to be resolved by like investing in railways, um, especially in the Southern states to connect that part of the country mm-hmm. to the North. Cause remember guys, like there aren't interstate highways at this point in time. Yeah. That's not for another, you know, hundred years, literally. So Again, this like partially helped, but there was so much corruption at state level governments that like a lot of the time, maybe, you know, they cut corners at, at the best case or uh, the worst case is like these things aren't even brought to fruition and the money just goes to state officials and their friends. <sighs> like, I mean, literally just the definition of corruption. Yeah. It was terrible. So... You have a national political environment that is 
you know, at its underlying core, uh, tension. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this is the environment that Leon Chol- Cholgosh was born into in 1873. Okay. Leon, if you hadn't guessed it, would play the part of the assassin to President William McKinley 28 years later. Ooh, that's what I was thinking. Yes. Now, over the next quarter of a century, roughly, things in America are kind of just not getting better. And best case scenario, we're staying the same. Mm -hmm. We are like in the midst of the Gilded Age at this point in time. Mm -hmm. So corruption was just part and parcel of how the government operated. And I think the name, you've talked about this before when we watched the show, Gilded Age is such a, an appropriate term for this time period where it looked like there was a ton of wealth and progress and the American dream, stuff like that. But right. that was very few and far between. Most people were not living that life. You couldn't have said that better. Um, the disparity between kind of like this like like capital owning class Mm. and just like your everyday American and average laborer was just really wide. Yeah. Um, And it didn't lead to good things, right? Like that divide, there was progress, right? That's where the gilded part comes from in that like rail, um, industrial progress. Yeah. yeah. Industrial. Yeah. Kind of going through like a second industrial revolution in a way. Scientific progress, maybe. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And there was a sense of optimism, especially amongst the elites, but amongst just like your everyday people, it was not, great. Mm -hmm. I think that's the best way to put it. Honestly, presidents at this time were really weak. Oh Um, yeah. They were very weak. I can't even think of them. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You have like Rutherford B. Hayes. You do have Garfield as well. Who was assassinated. Um, but a lot of the time they would go into office and not just the presidents, but like all across the federal government, people would get elected and they'd basically bring their friends along and put Mm. them in positions of power. They called it quote unquote patronage Mm -hmm. borrowing from the old uh, Latin word for like the Roman system, which that was not what patronage was. Yeah. Um, But you know, it's basically just like their way of justifying corruption. Oh, what a bummer. Yeah. Pretty, pretty big bummer, honestly, especially when the country's struggling so much, you'd want strong leadership. You'd think so. Right. Mm hmm. I mean, and we'll get to that, actually. Mm. So remember that economic disparity I was talking about? Yeah. So lots of the rural poor would often migrate away from farms Mm -hmm. and just the rural communities into cities to try to find work during this, like, 25-year period. That makes sense. And also farmers in general were just having a really rough time of it, even the ones that did want to stick it out. So what happened was prices were going further down at this point in time. Um, and this would drive farmers to go into debt. Mm. So then following crop cycle, they would try to increase their yields, right? So that they could sell more. But the problem with this was that it was just driving prices down even more. Oh, And so you were in this vicious cycle where like you would increase yields, but that would contribute to the, you know, the excess crop production because everyone's trying to do that and the price is just basically racing to zero. Oh gosh. And this would, you know, the cycle would just continue and continue and farmers would get more and more desperate. Um, the uneasiness felt by farmers was also shared in just in general by lots of the public. Um, the biggest increase in wealth at this time was coming from railroads specifically and Mm -hmm. just industry in general to an extent as well as like the financial firms that are 
um, supporting them. Mm. Right. So like Wall Street issuing bonds or like stock certificates on behalf of those companies, kind of like the the early versions of what you think of as like the stock market and other capital markets. That's so interesting. I was a finance major in college, guys. I know a lot about this. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. (laughs) (laughs) So, and then this is kind of a powder keg waiting to happen um, because as railroads became more and more popular, speculation also increased on the value of these railroad companies. What does speculation mean? Basically the, what you think, how much something is valued at. Okay. And so when you speculate, it's just, it's kind of like, you usually use the term speculate when you're talking about a bubble, like a financial bubble. And that's what was happening here. Like people are just kind of like, it's the hot new thing, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, And then, you know, you just get the great depression of 1893 because this, this vicious cycle of like, oh, it's invest in railroad companies. Like, and even though they're not going to make the returns that you should be getting, from the capital that you're you're giving them, Uh-oh. uh oh. So like, you know, people are either the investors are either a going to get pissed and want their money back, or yeah. b the company is just not going to be able to meet its financial obligations and fold, yeah. or both. Uh huh. And it's kind of what happened. So, the causes of this depression in total are kind of complex, but this rapid proliferation of railroad lines created a false impression of the growth of like the economy as a whole. So people oh, were just seeing shoot. this one little facet and being like, oh wow, the American economy is doing great. It wasn't. Um, it's just railroads were doing really well mm-hmm. until they until weren't. Until they weren't, yeah. And then it's like, wow, boom. Again, like one industry or sector does not define the economy as a whole and that's still, you know, is present today. It's even very dangerous so. when that happens. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I said, it was the railroad industry was just a bu- in a bubble. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like how I feel, like, to be honest, artificial intelligence is being treated right now. Oh, yeah? Yeah, AI industries, or how the cryptocurrency market was about, like, oh, two my years gosh. ago. Yes. Three years ago. I was about to ask, Not that's a great connection that you made with crypto, but I kind of picked up on the sentiment that, like, people were probably investing in railroads because everyone's like, you got to invest in this. This is the new exactly. hot thing. Exactly. This is how people are getting rich. That's 100% correct. And that's definitely what was going on with crypto. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And you think that's what's happening with AI? Yeah. I mean, there are, like, here's the thing. Even with cryptocurrency and with railroads, right, there's legitimate use cases for these things. And yeah. they are important. And they are, like, you know, in ca- these cases, revolutionary. But there's you get to the point where they're so overhyped that you're, the value goes down. Yeah. The v- actual underlying value is lower than what like the public thinks it is. That's a really good way of explaining it. Yeah. And that's basically what a bubble is and mm-hmm. just like pure layman's terms. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not great. The first <laughs> going back to 1893, this isn't a good time. This is actually a pretty crappy time. So the first railroad company to fold was the Philadelphia and Reading railroad company and they kind of started a domino effect where just a bunch started just like kind of falling or failing right after. That's not fun. No, no, it's not good. Basically, it created a panic, which means that investors were like, oh no, uh-huh. I need my money back. Yeah, And they're just like, they're doing runs on the bonds that they have, right? So like the way that these companies operated is like they issue debt. Mm-hmm. So like you, like, 
can go and buy, oh, railroad company A, I'm going to buy like a stock or I'm going to buy like a debt from this company, right? Mm -hmm. With the expectation that they'll not only pay the debt back, but then give you interest payments on top of that. Mm Mm-hmm. And so all these people that were holding on to those bonds were like, oh, no, I just got to cash this in. I don't even care. I just need I just need my money back. And the more people do that. Yes. The worse the situation Especially is. Because the, the whole point of it in the first place is to get cash in the door for the business to, you know. Operate. Exactly. Uh-oh. And now they don't have the money and then they close. So basically, as with many financial woes, this whole economic depression was caused by psychological factors from beginning mm-hmm. to end rather than, you know, any sort of sound like financial fundamental analysis. Mm-hmm. I That's mean, a really good way of putting it. This is like, weirdos, we're getting like a master class. Getting a little MBA lesson. <laughs> a little... Even though I don't have an MBA. <laughs> <laughs> but you can give the lessons. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, hopefully one day I can give an MBA class about podcasting. That would be... Oh my even gosh. Even though I've never... And I have no intention of getting MBA. And MBA students may not need a class on podcasting. That's also true. (laughs) Maybe running a podcast. Exactly. The business side. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I don't think the artistic side would be too much of interest to them. (laughs) I feel like if you were to do that, though, and I think the weirdos would agree, somehow you're going to end up lecturing them on ancient Rome. The late Roman Republic, to be specific. I plead the fifth. <laughs> so from 1893 to 1894, the unemployment amongst the working class went from like 3% to 19% across the whole country. Oh my gosh. And it gets worse like in certain areas. So like I just New York, got chills. New York state, guess how much it, guess how I reached. Um, 25. 35%. Oh my Michigan gosh. got to 43%. Holy smokes. Michigan, it was almost one in two people was unemployed. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, at this time, it was not uncommon to go into any major city and see just lots of homeless folks in those cities. I mean, unfortunately, in today's it, today's time, it's very common to see that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't up until, you know, before this time, it wasn't No, that no, common. that would have been rare. That would have been really rare. Mm-hmm. So... It was also around this time that 20-year-old Leon Cholgosh was out of work and he was facing pretty huge discontentment with the socioeconomic conditions of America. But we'll get to that later on in the story. Okay. We finally get to the election of 1896. Oh, 1896. 1896. Yeah, this is, I mean, I'll talk about it a little bit more, but this is a pretty like watershed moment, I think, for American politics. Mm -hmm. And this does sort of end like from the time of like Lincoln's assassination to 1896 is kind of viewed as like one sort of like era in American like history. And this starts the next era. Okay. Um, that goes all the way into the 30s. So this is a wow. this is like a really big watershed moment. Yeah, that's important. Um, I think they call it like the fourth alignment or something like that. If you if you're really big into American history, which uh, neither of us neither really of are. us are. Like we know the basics, but not like we're not deep into it. The fourth alignment sounds like it would be a yoga studio or a juice bar or something. Don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> This is why I'm your co-host. I bring perspective. Yeah, you know, that's that's fair. You do bring the good perspective here. So, I mean, things were so crazy. There actually emerged like a third party Ooh. that was pretty big. They were called the Populist Party. And it was looking like they could even win the election at this point. Good for them. So, 
Unless um, they were evil. No, they were they were pretty good. <laughs> I think and this was a really interesting race because William McKinley obviously won, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like you guys probably saw that coming. Spoiler. I really hope you guys did. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess not necessarily. Well, you should have known. Uh, <laughs> not to be judgmental or anything. But basically what happens is it comes down to William Jennings Bryan. Okay. Who is the who is the nominee for the Populist Party, and he's also the double nominee uh, for the Democratic Party. Oh. So he's the nominee for both. Oh combined. my! He's and he loses. Get this: he gets more votes than any other presidential candidate in American history up until that point, winner or loser, except for McKinley. Oh my god! So McKinley's number one of all time. William Jennings Bryan's number two. If he ran in any other race, he would have won. What an interesting race. Yeah. So, I mean, because both had really good points mm-hmm. of, or really good like intentions. They both wanted the same thing. They just had very different ways about going about it. Mm-hmm. William Jennings, William Jennings Bryan was willing to compromise um, monetary, uh, like the monetary system a little bit more. Like he was willing to add in like a silver um, mm-hmm. value for dollars as opposed Versus to the, the gold, gold value. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, McKinley's like, nope, like I want sound money. We're staying on the gold standard. And uh, that that ended up winning. Okay. And that was, and in hindsight, that was the right choice. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, it did, It certainly helped that like the following year, like a bunch of gold was discovered in Alaska. So mm, yes. Yeah. That definitely mm-hmm. helped a lot. But I mean, again, like William McKinley, he was the governor of Ohio. He ran on it like a, just a campaign of like, sound economic policy he was gonna even introduce like protectionist tariffs mm. um which, interesting yeah that part i don't i can't fully explain to you guys i just i mean tariffs are basically when you uh put a tax on foreign goods that are mm-hmm. being imported into your country right mm-hmm. so he taxed that um trying to boost probably with the farming thing you were talking about trying to boost yes uh local economy like, yeah exactly the local like the domestic domestic businesses. that's the word mm-hmm. yeah exactly um yeah this again like i said the turnout was really big for this election um the biggest that it ever by far and mckinley yeah got like seven million votes or something like that wow over seven million votes that's wild that's right. a lot especially because today even even though our voter turnout is terrible in american elections even presidential elections like to this day i mean the winner gets like what like 70, 80 million votes, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like 10 times the amount. Mm-hmm. Kind of crazy. This is a friendly reminder to the History for Weirdos listeners. Register to vote. Yeah, register to vote. Like it's understand important. what like what or who you're voting for. Like just do that stuff. Yeah. Do like do your research. Like really. Mm-hmm. That's all I uh, all I have to say about that. <laughs> so I fi- I've given a ton of backstory, right? This yeah. is this is crazy amount of backstory, I feel like. But we're finally getting towards like the major event and the reason for this episode. So all that you really need to know about McKinley's presidency up until 1901 is is the following. Like the economy rebounded after McKinley's administration introduced that tariff in 1897. Yeah. Gold was found in Alaska, like I said, which again, was very coincidental and also helped the gold standard. Mm -hmm. And there was a short war fought against Spain, the Spanish American war Mm -hmm. where, um, which resulted in like the early, the kind of early portions of American imperialism. So exciting times, (laughs) exciting times, right? (laughs) Puerto Rico, Guam, Cuba, and the Philippines were ceded to the United States. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
you know, the U.S. also annexed Hawaii during this time and oh became a territory. Um, so with all of this, these things happening, I know we, we think of imperialism as bad today, but at the time... At the time, it was seen as great, like a great right. sign, like, oh my gosh, your country's doing well. Exactly. Yeah. And so he won... He, he, he actually ran against the same guy, funny enough, oh, William Jennings Bryan, and he beat him by even a larger margin. Yeah, I could see why people would be happy with those results of his presidency so far. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You couldn't have said it better. Uh, but now that we've kind of covered that, let's get to the 1901 Pan-American Exposition. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. So this was taking place in Buffalo, New York. Where my dad was. Where your dad was. <laughs> in 1901. And although this technically was not like an official World's Fair, um, it did attract roughly 8 million people between May 1st and November 2nd of 1901. That's a lot of people in Buffalo. Yeah. So it was a big event. It was huge. And you said May, right? Uh, yes. May through uh, November. Okay. That makes sense. Because winter in Buffalo, you wouldn't want to be there. No. No. Especially, actually, funny enough, when the assassination took place, it was very hot. Yeah. You had that summer heat coming through. So, um, it's interesting, too, because its theme, as you may have guessed, maybe, is (laughs) (laughs) Pan-Americanism. Yeah, or, you know, the creation of kind of like a broader American identity. And when I say American, I mean like all the Americas. The Americas, yeah. Yeah. We're all American. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's I know it's kind of weird because it's like when you say American, you could refer to like, oh, a citizen of the United States, or you could literally mean like anyone in North or South America. In English, we don't have a term for United Statesian, right? Or United States citizen. Yeah. No, we don't. There's one in Spanish. Estadounidense. Estadounidense. There we go. That's to, because again, we're all American, so it's to specify where. But we're American. <laughs> yes. Maybe you just have to say it in that accent. <laughs> yeah. And so this kind of Pan-Americanism, I think it's 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 not really important to the story, but I just think it's kind of interesting because, yeah. um, you know, this was supposed to be like a marriage of like all the Americas, kind of like how Europe has like their own identity. Yeah. We wanted something, I think, similar. That's, that's just the way I kind of viewed it. Yeah. And, you know, while well-meaning, I think, I, it was, I think that was generally a failure. I would say so. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, random aside. But back to the event itself, um, it was a really big deal, right? Eight million people. Mm-hmm. And it was quite large geographically, too. It was kind of like a city within a city. Um, it was over half a square mile. So, you know, kind of, kind of big. And it was so beautiful because of all the lights. It was called the Rainbow City during its run. Um, because it was lit like day and night, which again, like today, that's not a big deal. But back then, 1901, that's a huge that's a deal. Huge deal, especially yeah. with lots and lots of light. Yeah, kind of like Vegas, you know. That would have been very exciting and felt like, oh, this is the future. Like avant, yes, exactly, the futuristic mm-hmm. avant-garde, however mm-hmm. you want to describe it. This episode is brought to you by Miracle Made. Did you know that traditional bed sheets can harbor more bacteria than a toilet seat? It can lead to acne, allergies, and stuffy noses. And it's just gross. Miracle Made offers a whole line of self-cleaning, eco-friendly bedding, such as sheets, pillowcases, and comforters that prevent 99% of bacteria and require three times less laundry. That's my favorite part. 
Using silver-infused fabrics inspired by NASA, Miracle-Made sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long, so you can get better sleep every night. These sheets are also infused with silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresh three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors. Miracle-Made sheets are luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice, if not nicer, than sheets used by some of the five-star hotels. Stop sleeping on bacteria. Bacteria can clog your pores, causing breakouts and acne. Sleep clean with Miracle. Go to trymiracle.com hfw to try Miracle-Made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo HFW at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash HFW and use the code HFW to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash HFW to treat yourself. Um, I mean, in fact, all the electricity needed mm-hmm. came from Niagara Falls, which was 25 miles away. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so they just they got that free electricity, basically. Coming the from water Niagara. power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And the convention also served as a place to showcase like art from all over the Americas, right? Oh, that would be beautiful to see. Yeah, and was kind of like the, the this is what American art is at the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I want to find pictures of this event. Oh, we will, there's pictures of this event um, and yeah, we'll definitely post them. Okay, cool, because this sounds, that event alone sounds fascinating. It is, it's incredible. Yeah. Like it, it was really cool. I mean, there was also, uh, I think I mentioned this earlier, but or later. I'm not sure, though, so I want to say it now while it's top of mind. They had, like, an early version of an X-ray machine. Oh, no, you hadn't mentioned this yet. Yeah, no, no, I, I might have in my notes later, but I'm just not sure if I just read it and didn't put it down. But anyways, yeah, so X-ray machine, early one. They have it by invented by none other than Thomas Edison. That's so cool. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, that would, be, that would be a fun spot to time travel to whenever we get to time travel. Oh, my God, imagine... Okay. No, I shouldn't say it. <laughs> It'll mess up the timeline. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. Oh, yeah. It was natural. It was like literally the next thing I had. <laughs> um, also, this place was really cool because they they um, they had a roller coaster there, and mm. and then they were gonna have another one that apparently had a flip. Shut up. 1901, guys. This is not. This is 1901, right? So if you're, you're thinking of going to Magic Mountain or wherever, no. like this is over a hundred years ago. Imagine everyone in like their formal dresses and suits and their top hats and their corsets in a loop-de-loop freaking Oh my god. Ride. That's crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. And they thought so too. So that's why it wasn't unveiled. Like yeah, they're no like, one could this, write it. Uh, this is too wild. Yeah, this is too, uh, too weird here. <laughs> so um 
interesting too uh there was like just clearly a sense of optimism that permeated throughout the crowd I bet. Uh, especially since the president of the united states would be in attendance um in fact actually even starting off this parade one of the the few people who oversaw the opening parade was none other than vice president teddy roosevelt i love teddy roosevelt teddy <laughs> so guys we're coming to it September 4th, 1901, <laughs> William McKinley arrived at the fair and was greeted by thousands of people at the time um, because he was a, you know, again, like a fairly popular president. And I think it used to be cool to see the president. Now we're all just like uh, so annoyed. So annoyed because of the traffic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it used to probably be like an exciting thing, right? It, For the president to come around. Yeah. And he was. I'll get into it more, but he was definitely like a man of the people kind of mm. guy, like very like salt of the earth. Like you, he could, he could shoot the shit with anyone. Makes sense with um, Teddy Roosevelt as his VP. We'll also get into that. Mm. Really interesting. I'm not going to spoil it though. So the very next day, so on September 5th, 1901, he, William McKinley gave what would be his very last speech. Oh, Wow. There will be a picture of this event. They, there's actually like a photograph of this giving his speech. Um, and that will also be on our Instagram. So shameless plug, follow us if you haven't already. Mm-hmm. At History for Weirdos. At History for Weirdos. Exactly. Just like that, in that voice. And we also have been posting, if you haven't seen already, shorts, uh, little short videos of our episodes. Right. Oh, yes. Very nice. <laughs> oh, very nice. So... Now, in general, though, about this William McKinley's um, visit to the like this World Fair, the Secret Service was really worried about this trip um, because they feared like this would be the place for an assassination. And they were right. <laughs> they were right. They just didn't they didn't stop him, but they were right about that. They were. Oh my gosh. Okay, tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, something strange about this too, um, and this kind of feeds into something I will cover at, at the end of this episode, but um, there was a rule like at this time that if you're approaching the president of the United States, yeah. right, you could, you had to have your hands visible and open. Like, okay. So kind of just like, like hey, you're unarmed. Yeah. It, it, it's not like you, you don't have to like put your hands up like you're under arrest or whatever um or you're surrendering but like you just have to have your hands up be like hey man what's up you mm -hmm, know? Mm -hmm. jazz hands jazz hands exactly that's exactly what i was thinking <laughs> so be like hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so this was obviously like to protect the president yes um and it was a good rule but for whatever reason this rule was suspended during this fair what yeah and if they were worried in hindsight not the best idea no so Again, McKinley was a man of the people, so he really liked going out and like interacting with just everyday folks. You know, mm. presidents don't do that today for like security reasons, but like back in the day, that wasn't uncommon. Yeah. Um, it was becoming less and less common by this time, but it wasn't uncommon. So um, his secretary of state, John Hay, remarked that he had never seen him in higher hope or confidence like on the 5th. Oh, that's so sad. So the sixth rolls around and Leon Cholgosh ha had been renting a room above a saloon in Buffalo. Also mm. kind of as an aside, and this, and this is just me ranting for like 30 seconds. He only paid $2 a week for that room. Mm -hmm. Adjusted for inflation today, that's like 70-ish, $75 maybe. And a I'm like, dude. A week? 
a week. Not a day. Not a day, a week. And so, I mean, if you go to a Motel 6, that's like $75 a night. Yeah, maybe. It could yeah, be more. It could be more. And that just like pisses me off. I know. Anyways, We're, I'm sure it pisses all of you guys off too. Yes. Yeah, that's okay. Rant is <laughs> over. So... <laughs> Uh, since the time that Leon had been laid off from work eight years prior, he had become more like radicalized as kind of like a socialist anarchist hmm. is the best way to put it. How interesting. Yes. The juxtaposition of those words. Right. It was a different time. Like this was pre-Soviet Union. Yeah. So there isn't like a state that is run by any sort of like socialist or communist like ideals. It's just an idea kind of at this point. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. Clearly it sounds, I think better on paper. Cause it's like, you need to have some sort of, they kind of contradict each other a little, he, don't they? I, I, I'm sure there are people who would disagree. W- that would disagree. Yeah. Yes. But I mean, I think in theory they don't, but in practice they do. Okay. I mean, and that's the thing like theory and people will hate me for this. Theory is completely meaningless if it doesn't work in practice. Yeah. Like, sorry, it's true though. But it also tells us the mindset that Leon's in exactly he's and feeling very disenfranchised exactly and i even put in here like to be fair like he had seen labor strikes erupt into violence um and he became ill which i believed like led to his predisposition of being interested in like a radical philosophy mm-hmm. um and further emboldened by you know like thought leaders at the time like emma goldman with whom he met and obtained more literature mm. it's interesting we'll get into a little bit about her later on in the story. Um, interestingly though, I, I thought like everyone mentioned that he was really socially awkward mm. and uh, just really asked really blunt questions. Mm. Um, like I, to the point where some of the like socialist circles thought he was a cop. <laughs> Cause he that's how not. awkward he was to be around, but that's how like just socially awkward and just kind of like, like where can I find this person? Mm-hmm. Like just no social cues whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Possible neurodivergence going on. That's exactly what I thought. Mm-hmm. Like possibly on the spectrum or something like that. Maybe. So yeah, they even again, like they even issued a warning about him to like other like little socialist circles. <laughs> like, Hey, this guy is a cop. Be careful. <laughs> he was not a cop. So he was mostly inspired though by a name or by a man by the name of Gaetano Bresci. And he was an anarchist who actually assassinated King Umberto I of Italy in 1900. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, as a way to give power back to the common man, you know, in his eyes. Which I'm sure that didn't happen. No, it did no. not happen. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they went to fascism. Yeah. Like, like 20 years later. <laughs> so now back to the narrative, though. He, uh, Leon noticed earlier that day, like on the 6th, that McKinley would sometimes just straight up like walk away from the security detail. Kind of like what the Pope used to do. Oh, yeah, the current Pope? Yeah, he would kind of like escape and so he could like hang out with the people. That's what McKinley would do. The current Pope, yeah, he'll like uh, in the middle of the night sneak out type of thing so he can go volunteer and stuff like that, apparently. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, he doesn't volunteer, but he just wants to meet people and like yeah. talk with like you know, the everyday citizen. Yeah. I think McKinley was an extreme extrovert. Mm-hmm. I can relate a little bit. Really? We're shocked. Shocked. 
<laughs> so he also, Leon, also knew that the president would be meeting with members of the public later that afternoon in the Temple of Music, which is also a credible name. Oh my gosh, we should have temples of music. Yeah. And it's funny, I'm wearing a Guns N' Roses t-shirt right now, <laughs> so I feel like that's very apt. Yes. I wonder if I condition myself to wear this shirt. <gasps> Maybe. Maybe. You, you brainwashed yourself. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Leon also had like a little like small revolver that he would be carrying in his pocket to do the deed. Hmm. Terrible, terrible. So McKinley arrives at the Temple Music Building and at approximately like 4 p.m., he starts to meet with people who were lined up to greet him. Mm-hmm. And at right around 4.07 p.m. is when Leon gets to the front of the line and is greeted by McKinley. So the summer heat was really intense this day. And I'm, and I'm guessing added to the irritability that like people, people feel with this weather. And that must've like influenced Leon in a little bit to be a little bit more aggressive mm-hmm. because, um, when McKinley like, uh, extended his hand, Leon smacked it away. Okay. I can't imagine. Obviously I'm not like trying to, empathize or condone this by any means but he's trying to assassinate the president like the adre- like the adrenaline and the hormones pumping through him oh yeah and the sun beating down and he's nervous like that makes sense actually exactly right um I mean, yeah like i think i love the way you said that too because you're not excusing what he's doing we're just trying to like understand his mindset I yeah think. yeah and i think that does add to it like, I think it would be, like, irresponsible for us to just, like, completely disregard that. Yeah, not that I could ever imagine like doing them, that. Like, killing someone who isn't, like, harming you, but, mm-hmm. like, especially the President of the United States. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, you got to be out of your mind. You got to be out of your mind. Yeah. I mean, I, he probably was, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be hard not to be. But anyways, Leon Cholgosh smacks William McKinley's hand out of the way pulls out his like 32 caliber Iver Johnson revolver. It was covered by a white handkerchief. Mm. So like you couldn't see the gun. Like you couldn't see exactly what it was. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and he fired two shots. Mm. The first one, like I think bounced off a button and got caught in his jacket, but like just grazed him, didn't hurt him, um, you know, beyond like a, a scratch. But the second one lodged right in his gut. Oh no. So it's going to be slow. Yes. Um, the shot knocked like like it hit McKinley. He kind of like staggered a little bit, um, and apparently had this like really perplexed look on his face, like what the hell just happened? Mm. Which I kind of get, I guess, especially because he's just like, hey man, I'm just here to like meet people, and like I want to like listen to what you guys have to say. He wasn't expecting it at all. No, he was not expecting this. I mean, again, he was a fairly popular president. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Eyewitnesses to the event mentioned that there was like a brief moment, like right after the shots happened, where everything just kind of got still, like quiet and still. Mm. And I think I just imagine that it took everyone like a second or two to, to fully process, like, what is happening here? Um, what the hell is going on, honestly? It's probably what they're all thinking. And violence like this at that time in a crowd, very oh. unheard of. Exactly. Yeah. Very innocent time in some ways. Yes, exactly. I know you hear that now. Everyone's just sprinting. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. 
And also remember, like, gunshots in real life are much louder than they make them on TV if you haven't ever heard one. Um, so that that's also, like, very strange that everyone's just like, there's two of them that go off. Two loud noises all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And then after that just brief moment, like, panic started to ensue. <laughs> um, the guy behind Leon was a man by the name of James Benjamin Parker, and he actually is the one to tackle Leon to the ground. Wow. Um, before he could get a third shot off. That's like, brave. He was going to shoot again, and he just tackles him. And a second later, uh, buff, uh, Buffalo, excuse me, Buffalo detective John Geary and artilleryman, which is a soldier, Francis O'Brien, jumped on top of Leon and just started to beat him to hell. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they, so you have like three dudes and then other like uh, policemen and soldiers start just jumping on this guy. And it's just like a dog pile. <laughs> dog pile on this they're one dude. Beat, they have like rifle butts. They're beating the hell out of this guy. Here's the crazy thing, though. McKinley's still reeling from all of this, right? He's like, he, he's kind of like barely holding himself up and he orders his men to actually stop beating Leon um, mm. before he's dragged away, uh, which I guess to me, honestly, really showcases his magnanimous behavior. Yeah. Because if honestly, if that were me, I'd be really pissed. Like I would be like in the moment, I think for a second, I'd be really fearful, but then I think I would just be pissed. Like, who the hell do you think you are trying to kill me? Mm-hmm. He must have been a very open person. And he probably wanted to hear, like, why? Yes. You know, like, no, like, don't hurt him. You know, I, I want to know what's going on, kind of. Yeah. Or he just had a lot of protective instincts himself. Right. That's a really good point. I mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> you know what's also crazy about this whole thing? Hmm. McKinley at this time didn't even want to leave. What? What so do you mean? He wanted to continue speaking with folks who were there. And he was just like, don't worry about it. It's just a scratch. I'll walk it off. Sir, I think you have a bullet in your belly. <laughs> yeah, that was not going to happen. He was really injured. Um, the second per- the second thing he said, though, like afterwards, after, or I guess the first thing he said after, like, uh, they were like, no, you're going to go to the hospital. You're going to get some medical attention. He asked about his wife. If she was okay. If she was okay. Oh, that's so sweet. Yes. So he's put on a stretcher. He's taken outside and there's a huge crowd outside because they're like, what the hell's going on? And they all see like the president of the United States being carried on a stretcher to an ambulance. How shocking. Yes. And he had like an ashen face. Yeah. It was not good. It was not pretty. It'd be very terrifying to watch. I think it was, it was not good. Um, Interestingly, like on the ride to the hospital, Mm -hmm. he removes uh, like a piece of metal, which we think was the bullet Mm -hmm. uh, from his inside his jacket. And he looks at it and he says, huh, I believe that is a bullet. Oh, he's so calm. Like so casual. Like this president had jokes for days. Oh my God. If someone shot me twice and one bullet was like in my gut, I'd be like crying. Yeah, I think that's a normal reaction. I, I think mean, I would cry. <laughs> this guy's just like, eh, whatever. And this, he was like... He's seen some stuff then. He he was a Civil War veteran. Okay. He saw some shit. Yeah, so he saw some stuff for sure. Exactly. So within minutes of the shots, uh, the news was conveyed around the world, actually, by telegraph. I'm sure. Yes, and especially within... Yeah, within minutes, like, every, like most major cities, like someone was aware that... Yeah, you know, this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, this was crazy too, because this was a world before radio even, let alone That's television. Right. That's right. And so uh, people like in, were, were gathering around news stations, like thousands mm. of people would gather around news stations, like waiting for the next wire to come through to tell them like what's happening. Can you imagine now we have it endless, endless information in our hands at all times. Exactly. To have to like go somewhere else to wait and listen. That's wild. Yeah. But to them probably felt very advanced actually. No, it definitely would have felt advanced um, because just think about it. Like before you had like the pony express and yes, which actually just didn't last that long, but like you had to like wait by, you know, locomotive or you had to wait by just horse. regular mail. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. Before you get information. Now you could get it within minutes. Like if it's big news like this, yes, which was huge. So McKinley was shot in the stomach. Like, like I said, um, which up until about 17 years prior was a death sentence that would result in a long, painful, and slow death. Yeah. It's um, a slow way to go. It was a bad way to go. You usually get some sort of infection and mm-hmm. or gangrene and die from that. And it's not pretty. Mm-hmm. But a Swiss doctor had invented like some way to address this. Mm-hmm. And don't ask me any more about that because I couldn't even tell you if I wanted to. I won't. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the surgeon that had been treating McKinley wasn't able to remove the bullet. He couldn't find it. So it's terrible. He left the bullet inside of him. He sewed him up with the bullet <gasps> inside of him. And yeah. He, Cause you can't keep him open either. Right. Yeah, and so he would later write that like a, like quote, a bullet once it ceases to move does little harm. Oh no, but sir, that's wrong. Yeah. I was going to say, I would love to hear what our <laughs> medical professional listeners like have to say about that. Yeah. Especially you... leaving lead in your body. Inside, it does no harm. That's fine, right? Yeah. We've all had a little bullet yeah, in our know, tummies. Just rub some dirt on it. <laughs> rub some dirt on it is basically what that doctor said. <laughs> kind of. That's wild. So regardless of the efficacy of that <laughs> Whatever that is, actually. Um, the next morning, McKinley was awake and even in good spirits, interestingly enough. Oh, no. So he was relaxed. He was conversational. And he looked like he was going to make a full recovery. Pobrecito. He asked his secretary, you know, how even like the attendees liked his speech. He's like, did I do a good job? Though? Yeah. He's like, did I do a good job? Yeah. And he's like, yes, yeah, sir. You did do a good job. That would be you. I know that would be me. But, but like, like, did the speech go well? Did the speech go well? Did people like it? Yeah. Sir, you you were shot. You actually still have a bullet inside of you. Yeah, whatever. Uh, so Vice President Teddy Roosevelt, um, he had been in Vermont, and he booked it to Buffalo when this happened. Oh. Um, to visit McKinley. And he did leave a couple of days later, as did lots of people who visited him, um, because they, I think, wanted to give him time to rest. Yeah. Because everyone, everyone thought he was going to be fine. Everyone thought he was going to make a full recovery. So remember that guy, the first guy that tackled him? Yes. So he... That tackled Leon? That tackled Leon. Mm-hmm. He was black. Mm-hmm. And so there was even like news stories um, going around saying like, like you know, a, you know, pardon my French, but like like a quote unquote Negro mm-hmm. was the one that helped, that saved the white president, you know? Yeah. And it was... Oh yeah. And you were talking about, the, you set the stage for race relations at this time. Exactly. Really yeah. good. Yeah. So... Uh, the fact that that happened actually helped ease race relations like temporarily, but it helped ease some tension. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's like a a complex issue, but, um, it did help a little bit. Um, but you know, unfortunately though, we know where this is going. 
I will say it is important to note that it being a black man in a very racialized country, how amazing that he didn't stop for a second, but to think I'm going to protect my president. Yeah, exactly. That speaks a lot to that man. Yeah. Oh, his character. His story is tragic. I, I, I almost <gasps> didn't even want it. I didn't write it down because I, I looked into it and I was going to share like what happened with him and it, it's not good. Uh Oh, he kind of dies in obscurity, like only years later and he was a young man. Oh so, no. Yeah. It really, it actually really upsets me because he was like literally a national hero a hero, and he's treated like garbage. Oh no. So at first he's treated well, but then eventually and then it garbage. gets bad. Mm. And so it's just it's lots of tragedy then lots of tragedy. So going back to McKinley, um, after like everyone had left, mm-hmm. apparently he felt a little isolated and he missed everyone hanging out around with him. Oh my God. Are you the reincarnation of president McKinley? I know. I thought, <laughs> I thought I was the reincarnation of like Antoninus Pius. He's a Roman emperor. Cause we went to, Oh yeah. And you look like him. Yeah. I look just like him. It yeah. was really weird. No, but that's you weirdos. We'll spend like a week. Like one time we went uh, to a cabin with our friends Shout out to the homies and the homies. We were there all weekend. There were dogs, there's friends, there's games, all the good stuff. And like when we got home later that week, Andrew's like, man, we never do anything. We never see our friends. And I was like, we just saw them all like two days ago. That was just a few days ago. Yeah. So you're very, very extroverted is what I'm trying to share. Maybe I am McKinley. (laughs) Yeah. So he's like, no, I'm lonely. I just have, it's just me and my bullet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so also this is kind of funny. Like one of the reasons why, um, Teddy Roosevelt left was mm-hmm. to give him probably to give him time to recover, but he was also just insanely pissed that Cholgosh, uh, could possibly get only a few years in jail for attempted murder. Oh. Um, as that was like New York state law. Oh. And so he was so enraged that he actually went to the mountains to go on like a vacation. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how that's pissed he was. That's kind of sweet. I know that's, he, uh, that was a very Teddy response. I feel like. Yeah. Um, but sadly though, this, we, you know, this recovery is a false one. Mm. The gangrene eventually did take hold and he would die at 2:15 AM on Saturday, September 14th, 1901. That's so sad. The cause of death is believed to be pancreatic necrosis, which is a condition really difficult to treat today and would have been impossible for those doctors at the time. Wow. So there was no hope for him. There was no hope. Mm-hmm. Um, Teddy Roosevelt was on his way back to Buffalo uh, when he heard, when he got the news. And so he heard, he got the news that morning. He was on his way to Buffalo. He arrived in Buffalo in the afternoon and he would take the oath of office to become the next president of the United States. Oh my gosh. So you're coming back from the mountains from your little Teddy Roosevelt vacation and you find out that one of your closest friends, your colleagues slash the president of the United States died and now you're president. It is interesting. You mentioned friend. He was his president. They were colleagues. They were not friends. They were not friends. Well, he made it seem like they were. He was so upset by this incident. I'll get into that in a second. Um, (gasps) But finishing up this little section here. Cheese man. Cheese, I got some cheese man. So <laughs> Joel Gosh, he went on trial for murder mm-hmm. of McKinley in the state court in Buffalo on September 23rd, 1901. Like just nine days after McKinley had died. Yeah. 
The trial was really short because he would be executed by electric chair on October 29th, 1901. So like scarcely five weeks later or something like that. Oh my. Yeah. <sighs> so that's, this is just such a tragic story. It is. Yeah. I mean, he was radicalized. I don't think he was a bad person. I think he was ill yes. mentally and physically possibly. Yeah. And he was exploited by people. Yeah. Not that it excuses anything, but my gosh, you kind of he was i can only imagine that he was just like a symptom of a larger problem that wasn't being addressed it's exactly it honestly from my point of view so fairly early on in this um there's actually some conspiracy theories about like what was happening Ooh, conspiracy theories so the first one was that this was actually like part of a larger anarchist syndicate to assassinate president mckinley Oh. Right, that this guy, Leon, was just the tip of the spear, so okay. to speak. It sounds a little far-fetched because it was. Okay. Um, a bunch of anarchists across the United States were arrested within days oh. of this happening, right? Is there like an anarchist registry or something? I don't know how that works. <laughs> how I did they know? That. Okay. I think there were, you know, there were some more prominent people and then they were like, you know, in the big cities that the local police probably targeted. Okay. So... There was that. Um, the, it's interesting, too, because when they were interrogated by police, a lot of them admitted, like, oh, yeah, like, I knew this guy. I met him. Mm-hmm. But they were like, they also said, I had absolutely nothing to do with what he did. Mm-hmm. In fact, like that Emma Goldman that I re- uh, referenced earlier. Yes. She was also known as the, quote, high priestess of anarchy, end quote. Damn, that's a good band name. I know. I was going to say Steph. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Priestess of Anarchy or Priestesses of Anarchy. High Priestess. Oh, High Priestess. I'm sorry. High Priestess of Anarchy is a dope band name. That's a really good one. Yeah. Weirdos. You heard it here first. (laughs) You got to go start that band, Weirdos. We've given you so many bands to start. Just start one. Yeah. one. I I really want one of you guys to start a band, get really big, and then you can invite us to your concert. Yes. That's our dream. I'd be so stoked. (laughs) So... (laughs) So, oh my God, that's too good. Yeah, needless to say, everyone was released. All these anarchists were released because yeah. there was zero evidence pointing he, to this. It looks like he totally acted alone. Yes. Now, the second one mm-hmm. is that Teddy Roosevelt actually orchestrated this assassination. Oh, hell no. So, I don't think so. To be completely upfront, I think this particular conspiracy is also BS. Mm hmm. I do not think that, but I want to share it anyways, as this was viewed as a possibility at the time or shortly thereafter. That's fair. Um, First of all, and I've been careful not to mention this, right? Even though I think you mentioned uh, the opposite just recently, but Roosevelt and McKinley did not like each other. They really did not like each other. That is so wild. It is... it is wild because I find them to be very similar to each other. They seem very similar. Yeah. I mean... To, they disagree. They would disagree, though. Oh, I'm sure they would disagree. Interesting. But I'm like, hey, I'm third party, man, and you guys sound pretty similar. Yeah. Um, they rarely agreed on anything. In fact, the one thing they agreed on is how much they hated each other, apparently. What? Which is, again, I'm like, how? Why? I don't get this. Um, you know, and of course, like, you know, with McKinley out of the way, Roosevelt has a lot to gain, right? Yeah. Presidency. He's now the president. Mm-hmm. So there's certainly motive for that to happen. Yeah. 
Um, and also kind of like one of the, the factors of this was that like the, there were two Secret Service members uh, flanking McKinley when the shot happened, right? They were right next to McKinley and they would say that, uh, or they would claim that they were distracted while Leon shot McKinley. Did they say what was distracting them? I didn't find like what any they said. concrete thing. Yeah, right, exactly. But it's given Praetorian Guard, if you know what I mean. Oh, like they intentionally had a blind eye to the situation. Kind of, yeah. That's the theory, at least. Yeah, that's the theory. It does give that kind of vibe. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, and I mean, like, what are you distracted by? Granted, you know, I've never had a role where I have to protect someone like that, but that's actually your job. Yeah, is to just watch McKinley. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> there's nothing else for you to be doing there are consequences of this um like kind of broad sweeping consequences okay so i mean it, it is it's just kind of ironic that ultimately it came down to like this six foot six jacked dude that happened to just be standing behind leon yeah who could tackle him to the, to the ground before he got his third shot off right because his bodyguards are distracted. Yes. They don't even have iPhones. What are they? I don't understand. Yeah, I don't I don't get that one. To me, that it does sound kind of suspect. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I don't think Roosevelt, though, orchestrated all of this. That wouldn't be his style. He would have, like, challenged no. him to a duel or something. Yeah, literally. Mm-hmm. He would have been like, you, sir, are an ass. <laughs> <laughs> slap, slap. Yes. <laughs> we duel um, at dawn. I mean, but I mean, and also, here's, to me, the most damning evidence against this sort of this conspiracy theory. Okay. And that is like two U.S. presidents before him had also had people just come right up to them and <laughs> shoot them. I mean, that is literally how Lincoln died, right? Yeah. It was from behind, granted, but still came right up to him, shot him. Yeah. And then James A. Garfield, the guy very similar to McKinley, just walked right up to him, boom. So the, this is the drill that the Secret Service should be practicing is what do you do if someone walks right up to the president? <laughs> To shoot them. You know, you should really tell, go back in time and tell them that. Yeah. This yeah. is what you guys need to really focus on. <laughs> focus. Don't get distracted by like the lights and the roller coasters. Just watch McKinley. <laughs> yeah. I, I honestly, I just think the protection was a little incompetent if I'm being honest. Yeah. It's very possible. So this, this outraged the public. I'm sure. Absolutely outraged. Um, I mean, even members in government were so pissed about mm. this, right? This is now the third U.S. president that had been assassinated in less than 40 years. That's not looking good. That's not good. In 1902, it was made official that the Secret Service, which was a part of the U.S. Treasury at the time, mm-hmm. would actually protect the president at all times. That was not like the law. It was just like, oh yeah, we protect the president sometimes? Question mark. It, there wasn't like clear... You know, like, oh, we'll protect him sometimes. Maybe the army will protect him sometimes. That was oh. one of the, the um, like, other alternative possibilities mm-hmm. was that the army would actually protect the president I and could not see the that. Secret Service. Yeah, I could see how that would have been the case. Right, and since he is the executive officer. Um, but that wasn't to be. And it actually, fun fact, it wouldn't be until 2003 that the Secret Service would actually be under the Department of Homeland Security and not the Department of the Treasury. That's so weird. Because the other thing that the Secret Service was established for was actually counting uh, or tracking counterfeit money, in case you didn't know. Maybe that's what distracted them. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe they were looking at some bills and were like, is this real? Do you think this is real? <laughs> yeah, oh my God. No, Can know. you imagine? Put it up to the light. Yeah, we have to look. Oh. oh. 
or bad. We should have kept our eye on McKinley. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, also, interestingly, the Secret Service was created by none other than Abraham Lincoln. Oh. Get this. Like, literally, I, I don't remember. I don't know if it's days or even possibly hours before he was in turn assassinated. That's so sad. Yes. That's tragic, too. It, it's very tragic. How ironic. Incredibly ironic. Wow. Um, but again, this didn't satisfy the public actually. Um, mm -hmm. and it took until 1908 when Roosevelt, he consolidated a special task force of ini different initiatives mm -hmm. into kind of one direct branch, um, underneath the department of justice. Okay. And this would eventually become the FBI. Oh, okay. That I think makes it was sense. called the Bureau of Investigation at the time. Mm hmm. Like the FBI that we know wouldn't come about till later, but this is the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. It's small. It's very small. Mm -hmm. And this was in direct, um, like, I guess this was direct response to the fear that anarchists were like attempting to destroy the country. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. It was one deranged lunatic, but there's still that fear right, yes. that was happening. Yes. And fear definitely... Um Moves people, right? Yes. People are motivated by fear. There was no evidence of this, but um, my point of view is that a lot of workers just wanted better pay and working conditions, and there were some extremist groups, yeah. like small extremist groups that would prey on lots of these folks, right, to join their cause mm -hmm. and use them as like bargaining chips and so, and like so forth. Because when you're unemployed and you have a family and all of those things, you could... He's, and, you know, lots of lack of education at this time, like lack of information, access to information. You could so easily fall prey to some nut jobs that are trying to just use you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I part of me, like, doesn't blame them. It's like you, your situation sucks and you just want and it you're to desperate. be better. And you're desperate. Yeah, it's terrible. So honestly, what scares me about today, kind of like moving forward to today, is that I see a similar pattern kind of developing in the United States. I was thinking Yay. that too. I was thinking the same. Yes, you you have like an oligarchy upper class that has, you know, massive wealth, right? But uses the government to their advantage to ever increase that wealth, even at the expense of fellow Americans. We're in the Gilded Age part two. We are. I think we are in a kind of a secondary Gilded Age. But without the cool dresses. Yeah, without the cool dresses. Also, here's the thing, like the 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 wealthy class back then, they like built like universities, they built mm -hmm. museums, they built infrastructure. Bridges, These, yeah, schools. Schools to put their names on things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, even if it is out of vanity, at least it was advancing like the country forward. These these billionaires today, they suck. They're definitely not building schools or no. bridges or opera houses, that's for sure. Yeah, they're just killing themselves at the bottom of the ocean. Yes. <laughs> We're trying to get to space. Yeah. All of those silly like silly, silly things. things. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. But um I mean, honestly, like this sort of like agreement that like you have between like risk takers and the people um that like that they'll share in the profits right so you have like risk takers that will get like extraordinary rewards if mm. their risk is successful right mm -hmm. and i feel like there's been like a sort of like understanding that you know if people help you with that you kind of like share in the profits right mm -hmm. you still get the massive majority of the reward but you can like kind of share a little bit right because you're able to because mm -hmm. you're able to um 
but, and I don't want to get into it like too much. I'm even like hesitant to even say that I feel like, um, because I just, I think I do see parallels though with the accumulation of wealth at the very top of society that is correlated to like a decline in like middle and like upper like, or I guess the lower middle class, mm -hmm. right? Over, especially over the past 30 years. And you saw that again, at kind of the end of the 19th century. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it's not only, it's important to not only recognize this, but also like put in real steps to just raise the standard of living for every citizen um, so that society can advance as a whole. I mean, here, here. Personally, you know, I think the, the free market is the best way to do that, but, and we shouldn't let corporations get too powerful. So huzzah. Yeah. Anyways, that's my philosophy. I feel like I could just go down this rabbit hole like crazy, but this is a history podcast after, at the end of the day. Yeah. And it's a, like, you're sharing how you, how you think we can address that issue. But I think what's also important is that the fact that you just used history to inform how we see our today and yes. what could happen in our future is like the whole point of studying history. I literally could not agree with you more. Yeah. And I guess that's why we're married. That's why we're married. <laughs> but no, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I just, I think that, you know, the government should not be protecting the upper class, right? It should be acting as like a, a judge, right? Between like the American public and special interests. Mm. And it should always be on the side of like the everyday citizen. Yeah. Yeah. And it is not. That's like, kind of the point of governments. Yeah. yeah. And I, it's funny because like, I think it's funny enough. Like, I mean, if you were to say like, you know, hear me talking about like wealth concentration, stuff like that, you'd probably think I'm like on, you know, like a Marxist or something. And I'm not, I'm actually a free market guy, but I just think you just have to put in some guardrails, mm. right? Like let yeah. people be free, put in some guardrails. And that's, I feel the best political philosophy, but anyways, I, I totally get it. I'm sure we're going to get so many hate messages yeah. after this episode. You guys, you guys just completely <laughs> disagree with me. Or if you agree with me, honestly, like let us know in the comments on, especially if you're listening on Spotify. I'm yes. really curious about that. Yes. Do you see the parallels? How do you think they can be addressed? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, there's probably no one right way anyway. Absolutely. It's a combination of things. And these are the conversations we should be having. Right. Exactly. And, and to me, like, I'm not really interested in like the politics, especially like yeah. the nitty gritty politics. I mean, I am in that, like to make it be efficient, but not like in the way that we treat it today. It's just all like distraction from like, what are the actual problems? Mm -hmm. Like address those problems. And then <laughs> I don't know, not like, the little nitty like arguing over semantics yeah yeah the, i would also be interested to hear if um international weirdos are noticing kind of like a similar pattern if people outside of the u.s feel the same yeah exactly i'd be really curious to know that myself well anyways regardless of how you feel or if you agree with me or disagree with me you know that is the assassination of willie mckinley and uh, to me, in my point of view, it is like the most important like assassination mm. in American history that you've not heard of. That's a great way of putting it. Or may or may not have heard of. Like I had heard of it, but to didn't be honest, know the details. Yeah, but I didn't know any of these details. I didn't under the only context that I understood from this is that it allowed uh, Roosevelt to be president. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it, and it's so much deeper than that. I'm so glad that you talked about this today. Right? Yeah. 
You took it a little, you went from murder to assassination, which is, it is similar but different. It's literally a murder. <laughs> it's literally a murder that has like giant implications. Yeah. Implications. Yeah. I think I said that once on this podcast. Implications. <laughs> but thank you so much for telling us about this story. Again, I, even when you asked at the beginning of the episode, I had forgotten that McKinley was assassinated until... I was then like, oh, yeah, that's how Roosevelt became president, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Let alone James A. Garfield. Mm -hmm. Like, I completely forget he's even president, let alone that he was assassinated. Yeah, so these these are the things that are important to learn. And it was definitely, um, like, a wild ride. Really tragic story, but very interesting story. Right. And, again, I had no one really talks about it but it's like wow no this set the course of like kind of a country and a lot of the world just like this one little event yes exactly well last but certainly not least my sources for this we actually use the library of congress history.com has an incredible kind of like expose on on this encyclopedia britannica is also pretty good there was um a a university of virginia article that Mm -hmm. was really good as well as a florida state college at Jacksonville article. How interesting. Yeah, really interesting. Um, also, I think the University of Virginia one gave me backstory like on the Gilded Age and a lot of like, oh, kind of, like those cool. underlying societal trends that were happening. Very cool. Really interesting stuff. And then, of course, Wikipedia. Of course, Wikipedia. Well, babe, thank you again for sharing this episode with us, the story of President McKinley's assassination. Weirdos, thank you so much for listening to another episode of History for Weirdos. We're going to give you a little reminder. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And like we said earlier, don't forget to follow us on Instagram. We're going to share like pictures from the episode and videos at History for Weirdos. You got it. And until next time, guys. Until next time, weirdos. Adios. Adios.